0: Hi, and welcome to the study of God's Word from the pulpit of First Baptist Church, Winton, California. Let's return to our study in the book of Philippians, chapter 1, if you will, please. Philippians, chapter 1. Someone asked me the other day, how long are we going to be in the book of Philippians? I said, how much time you got? Philippians chapter 1, verse 9, 10, and 11. And I pray, this I pray, the Apostle Paul writes, this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve the things that are excellent in order to be sincere and blameless until the day of Christ. Having been filled with the fruit of righteousness which comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of God, we pray his blessing upon the reading of his word. Now in his prayer, we've already mentioned, in his prayer to the Philippian Christians, the Apostle Paul asked God to give them an overflowing love that would result in knowledge and in discernment, which in turn would aid in their spiritual maturity. That God would give them an overflowing love that would result in knowledge and discernment, which would aid in their spiritual growth and maturity. Now, in this prayer, these three verses... The Apostle Paul mentions seven principles or seven elements of spiritual maturity. The first is a a godly love. The second is knowledge. Third is discernment. Fourth is approving what is excellent. Fifth is sincerity. Sixth is blamelessness. And seven is the fruit of righteousness. Those seven principles, those seven elements lead to ongoing growth into spiritual maturity. Now, we examined godly love last Sunday. We will focus our attention this morning on knowledge. On knowledge. Now, Webster defines knowledge As an acquaintance with the facts, an acquaintance with the facts, with the truths, with the principles gained through study and investigation, experience and association, familiarity with particular subject or branch of learning, knowing the facts knowing the principles, knowing the truths, gained through study and investigation, experience and association. It is a familiarity with particular subject or branch of learning. This is a very broad and a very comprehensive definition of knowledge. Now there are two words translated knowledge or knowing in your New Testament English Bible. The first word that is translated knowledge or knowing is oida, oida. And oida is a knowledge that's gained through observation, through exploration, through research, through reading, through listening to others, attending conferences, breakout sessions, discussion groups, those kinds of things. It is a knowledge gained by observation, exploration, research, and so on and so forth. The second word translated knowledge or knowing in your English New Testament is gnosko. Gnosko. This knowledge is gained through experience, through experimentation, and through application. Now, while the English word knowledge includes both of these, and you go back and you look at that definition, it's included there in your study notes. You go back and you look at the definition of knowledge in the English, it includes both what you study and what you experiment with or what you apply. But in the Greek, there are two specific words. The Apostle Paul and other writers of the New Testament, distinguish between the two. And they do so for a very important reason, and we'll get to that here in just a moment. In the Apostles' Prayer, again, God has been called upon to give the Philippian Christians an overflowing love that leads to a, and notice in the text, a real or a full knowledge. That's what he says. And I pray that your love may abound still more and more in real knowledge. Maybe your English translation says full knowledge or complete knowledge. The word here that is used is the word epinosis. 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 It's an extension of the word genosko, which means a full or advanced knowledge through experience. It's not based upon oida, which is knowledge gained through study and research. It is a word based on genosko, which means to come to an awareness to experience a full and complete knowledge. So a full knowledge, epignosis, is a more extensive, a more powerful, and a more influential knowledge than just knowing. You understand that? Let me try to break it down for you. Um, in terms that we can understand, there are, there are levels of knowledge. Uh, all of us have been to school, either we've been to formal education school or we've been through the school of hard knocks. But we've all come to understand that there are various levels of knowledge. OIDA is knowledge that's gained by observation and study, very basic, very fundamental. Ginosco is knowledge that's gained by experience and application. Epinosis is advanced knowledge that's gained by a disciplined life. Advanced knowledge that's gained by a disciplined life. How many of you have seen airplanes fly? You've seen airplanes fly. Some of you need to get out a little more. Many of us have seen airplanes fly. We've heard people talk about their experiences uh, flying in an airplane. We've looked at pictures and we've seen movies of airplanes in flight. That's OIDA. That's a basic and fundamental knowledge of airplanes that are capable of flying. Now, how many of us have studied the dynamics of flight or we've actually got on an airplane and flew somewhere? Some of us have. Some of us don't like getting on airplanes and flying around. That is gnosco. That is gnosco. It's a little bit more than just watching an airplane fly overhead. And I used to love to do that when we first moved here and Castle Air Force Base was active. I used to go out... To the to the uh, uh, as far as you could go without crossing the fence onto the uh, military base, and I used to sit and watch the B-52s and the KC-135s as they would take off and as they would fly, and I would uh, I would sit there, you know, and and there were military individuals in our church, active military, some of them were pilots, and I just loved to talk to them about flying those planes, and I would sit and I would marvel that the B-52 bomber was even able to get off the ground. That huge, huge airplane, when it's sitting on the tarmac on the flight line, its wings would drape down like this and they had to have wheels on the ends of the wings to keep the, 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 the wings from bending all the way down to the ground. And yet those planes, full bore off of the runway and it would take flight, and I would just marvel at that. I've been on airplanes. Nancy and I used to fly places, and I'm sure you have been able to fly places. That's, that's a little bit more advanced than just watching an airplane fly, because now you've got some experience sitting on an airplane in flight, that is, Ginosco. But how many of us have actually gotten behind the yoke of an airplane and invested hundreds if not thousands of hours in actual flying the aircraft that's epinosis that is a full or complete or advanced knowledge of flying so you have oida you have ginosko and you have epinosis You have the basic fundamental idea of flying through observation, through study, through research. You have some experience in flying as a passenger on a plane, or you're a pilot and you've actually experienced flying the plane yourself. Now those are words that are very important because when we're walking through Scripture, there are some things that God wants us to know because we have read scripture and we've thought about it, we've meditated upon it, we've mulled it over, we've talked to other people, we've heard other people, and we've come to a basic knowledge of certain things. But the Bible also talks about having some experience in some of those things. Not just knowing what you know, but also knowing what you know through some experience. And then there are times when Scripture talks to us about having a full knowledge or an advanced knowledge in the things of God. And so three different words are used to express the three different levels of knowledge that the Bible talks about. Now, what is the knowledge that the Apostle Paul would have the Christians here in Philippi to come to an awareness of in their lives. He uses the word epinosis. He wants them to have a full, a more complete knowledge of certain things, an advanced knowledge through living a disciplined life. The difference between being a passenger on an airplane and being a pilot behind the yoke is that the pilot behind the yoke has a far more disciplined experience in flight than a passenger would, a normal passenger, a regular passenger would. And so when we talk about epinosis, knowledge uh, that is advanced, we're talking about gaining an advanced understanding of certain things through experience, but that experience comes through a disciplined life. And that's the kind of knowledge that the Apostle Paul was praying that God would give the Philippian Christians. But then you have to ask the question, advanced knowledge in what? What is it that the Apostle Paul prayed that the Philippian Christians would have advanced knowledge in? And by the way, the things that he would encourage the Philippians to, to gain a fuller understanding of things, the same things that he would have you and I to gain a more complete understanding of in Scripture. So let me give you just a few things that the Bible talks about that we as Christians should press on to a more complete, a more full understanding and knowledge uh, uh, in our Christian lives. So first of all, there is the knowledge of God. There is the knowledge of God. In Romans chapter 1, look at it if you will please. Turn left in Romans chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 18 through 20. Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. Romans chapter 1, verses 18, 19, and 20. The Apostle Paul writes, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Now note this, verse 19. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power, and divine nature have been clearly seen being understood through what has been made so that they are without excuse. Now, I want you to look again at verse 19 and note it carefully. Because that which is known about God. Words are very important. For that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. This is a very basic knowledge of God implanted in every human being. Every person that has ever been born, from the first child born of Adam and Eve to the last child that will be born, every human being that has ever been born has A knowledge of God implanted in them because God put it there. If an individual says there is no God, calls himself an atheist, if he says there is no God, it's not because he doesn't have a knowledge of God. It is because he chooses not to believe in the God that he has knowledge of. Because God has given every individual an understanding of who he is. And the Apostle Paul makes this very, very clear. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, eternal power, divine nature, have clearly been seen, being understood through what has been made, so they are without excuse. There is not a single individual who will stand before the judgment throne of God and say, but I didn't know. Yes, you did. You you chose not to act on the knowledge that God gave you. It's a basic knowledge of God implanted in every human being. Everyone has this knowledge about God. Oida. Oida knowledge about God it's it's fundamental it's basic but it is inferior it is inferior to what God would have us know it is the ground floor of knowing God studying the Bible gives us a more advanced knowledge about God than just general revelation. What we see in the master design of creation and the stars and the flowers and the birds and the fish and the animals and so on and so forth. How everything is unique in and of itself but there is a a common denominator to all of it. There is symmetry, there is beauty, there is glory, there is majesty in everything that God has created and all of it cries out All of it cries out to the the glory and the wonder and the power of God who created all things. And the Bible helps us to understand that. Listening to other people talk about their experiences as a Christian, as a missionary, as a preacher, as an evangelist, as a Bible teacher, as an individual who lives their life daily in fellowship with God, we learn greater things about God. But this is still inferior to Gnosko. What you see and what you hear and what you observe is an inferior knowledge to what you should experience. The more full and complete knowledge of God is knowing him personally. Knowing him personally. John chapter 17 you're in Romans, turn left and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 17, and look at verse 3. This is the high priestly prayer of Jesus, the prayer that he prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane on the night that he was betrayed, on the night that he was arrested, uh, before the temple guards uh, came to the garden to arrest him this was the prayer that he prayed John chapter 17 looking in verse let's look at verse 1 through verse 3 these things Jesus spoke and he lifted up his eyes to heaven he said father the hour has come glorify thy son that the son may glorify thee even as thou gavest him authority over, mankind, over all mankind that to all whom thou given, hast given him he may give eternal life note this now look at verse 3 carefully And this is eternal life. That they may know thee. The only true God and Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. This is epinosis. Notice the difference between John chapter 17 verse 3 and Romans chapter 1 verse 19. We know about God because he's implanted certain knowledge within us about himself and because we see designs and things that only God can produce. Those things tell us about God. But Jesus said, this is eternal life that you actually know God. You know God. And, and epinosis here is to experience God in your own life. Not just a head knowledge of the existence of God, but a heart knowledge of the true existence of God. The knowledge that doesn't just cause you to sit and say, oh, well, that's nice. It is a knowledge that absolutely transforms your life because you have come to know Him personally in your life. It was Paul's desire for the Colossian Christians to to increase in the full knowledge of God. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Take a look at that, if you will. Go right, and after the book of Ephesians, you come to Colossians chapter 1. Look at verses 9 and 10. The Apostle Paul writing to the church at Colossae. And to these Christians, he expresses his heart's desire For them as well as he did to the Philippians, as he's done to a number of other churches. For this reason, Colossians chapter 1 verse 9, For this reason also, since the day that we heard of it, we have not ceased to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will in all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of the Lord to please him in all respects, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Epinosis. In both instances, in verse 9 and verse 10, epinosis, that you might increase in your knowledge of God's will. Verse 9. And that you would increase in the knowledge of God Himself. Verse 10. So there is the knowledge of God that we should be ever pursuing in our lives. And it's not just, we should not just be contented with gathering facts about God and wondering about certain things about God. We should pursue that, moving from Oeda, moving into Gnosko, and then moving into Epinosis, to come to a full knowledge of God, which can only be ours through living a spiritually disciplined life. But not only are we encouraged to grow in our knowledge of God our Father, we're also encouraged to grow in our knowledge of the Holy Spirit, the knowledge of the Holy Spirit. There is so much misunderstanding and even heresy regarding the Holy Spirit and his work in a person's life. Some believe that the Holy Spirit is a non-entity, that the Holy Spirit is a non-entity, an impersonal force like the wind or like gravity. Gravity. It affects us all, but you know we uh, uh, there. There's no personality to it. It is what it is. I hate that phrase, but we use it a lot, and it basically says what we want it to say. There's no individuality to it. There's no personality to it. It is simply an impersonal force that we experience in life. But there are others who believe. That the Holy Spirit is an agent of God, an agent of God like an angel, but is not God. An agent of God, but not God. Still others believe the Holy Spirit to be God, but ministers only to and through exceptional Christians. I've met some of those. But again, the Bible... The Bible gives us basic information about the Holy Spirit, oida. The Bible talks about the Holy Spirit, and we can read both Old Testament and New Testament, and we can come to a basic understanding, a basic knowledge of the Holy Spirit by our reading. But it's only through personal experience with the Holy Spirit that we come to know Him and His work, ginosko. If you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit living in you. That is the promise of the Lord Jesus Christ. If you have the Holy Spirit living in you, the Apostle John says, then you belong to the Lord. If you do not have the Holy Spirit living in you, you do not belong to the Lord. So, we pass from A cursory knowledge and understanding of the Holy Spirit Through the reading of his word Listening to other people talk about the Holy Spirit So on and so forth But we come to a a greater understanding A greater knowledge of the Holy Spirit When we accept Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior And we actually experience the Holy Spirit in our lives But Again Scripture Stresses the, the significance and the importance of Going on deeper and deeper In our knowledge with the Holy Spirit Into epinosis John chapter 14, verses 25 and verse 26, the Holy Spirit knows the deep things of God. First Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 10, the mysteries of God that lay hidden, that lay hidden to unspiritual eyes, ears, and minds. The more we fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the more we experience the Holy Spirit and the more we experience the things of the Holy Spirit in our lives and allow Him to work in us and work through us, the deeper our knowledge and understanding grows of the Holy Spirit. We pass from Oeda into gnoscō and then into Epinosis, a fuller, more complete understanding of who the Holy Spirit is. And then there's the knowledge of God's Word. The knowledge of God's word. Psalm chapter 119. We're not going to read it today. Chris and I, I need to explain. Tomorrow? Tomorrow. When no one's here. Right. Chris and I attended a conference a couple of years ago where one of the speakers Introduce his subject by reading the entire 119th psalm, 100 plus verses. Yeah, wow. (laughs) Okay, we're not going to read it this morning. But the 119th psalm is a very important psalm because every part of Psalm 119 stresses the significance of the Word of God, the importance of the Word of God. And why we should know Scripture. And why we should know Scripture fully and completely. In the 119th Psalm, and I'm only going to mention a few, it reveals the benefit that the Word of God has in a person's life. It teaches us how to walk in the ways of God, verse 3. And how to firmly establish our life in God, verse 5. In verse 9. The 119th Psalm reveals how we are made pure through God's Word because of the application of God's Word keeps us from sin, verse 11. It renews our spirit, verse 25, and it strengthens us when we're weak and when we're weary, verse 28. It gives us a high regard and respect for God in verse 38 as we commit Scripture to memory We have an answer for those who stand opposed to us, verse 42. It gives us comfort and assurance in times of conflict and tragedy and heartbreak and sorrow, verse 50. God's word gives wisdom and understanding in life, verse 66. And it teaches us patience, verse 74. Faithfulness, verse 75. Truth, verse 78. Following God's word preserves a good reputation, verse 80. And it reveals to us the way of salvation verse 81, and we can go on and on and on. But the many benefits that a person receives by reading and studying and applying the Word of God, by making the Word of God an integral part of who you are and how you live, advances one in their spiritual maturity. And then there is the knowledge of salvation. The knowledge of salvation. Luke chapter 1 and verses 76 and 77, Zacharias, who was to be the father of John the baptizer, in Luke chapter 1 verses 76 and 77, Zacharias prophesied that his son John would be called the prophet of the Most High. For you will go on before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give his people the knowledge of salvation by the forgiveness of their sin. This man of God prophesied over his child and said, Through you, the people of Israel will come to an understanding of salvation which was a radical, radical theological, theological shift in the Hebrew people's mind and heart. You see, they already thought they were in good with God. They didn't need salvation because they were the sons and daughters of Abraham. So if your bloodline could be traced back to Abraham, you don't need to worry about heaven or hell. You don't need to worry about this, that, and the other. You're good to go. But Zechariah said, no, this child is going to bring to them an understanding, a knowledge of true salvation. Now, the word of God gives us knowledge with regard to salvation, does it not? Oida, you can't help but read through the Old Testament and through the New Testament, and come to a, a basic knowledge of salvation, what it is to be saved. And in some instances, how to be saved. But that's just because you know the facts doesn't make you saved. It doesn't bring you to salvation. Unless and until that knowledge is applied into your life, you remain with a basic fundamental oida a knowledge uh, based upon fact. You haven't moved into Gnosko, where you've actually experienced salvation for yourself. John gave the people a knowledge of salvation by identifying Jesus as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Amen? This was the preaching of John. That was his calling. That was his one job description. And that is to go and prepare the way of the Lord. And his message was, y'all get yourselves ready because the Lord's Messiah is on his way. You need to repent of sin and you need to be baptized in preparation for the coming of the Christ. He told them salvation was near. He told them how to get ready for it. But that didn't save them. That did not save them. Many people flocked to Jesus. After John identified him. Many people flocked to Jesus for healing. And in anticipation of his becoming a political messiah that would deliver them from Rome. Very few believed in Jesus as the son of God. And as the Lord and the Savior and the same is true today sadly but it's true today the love that we have for our Lord and for each other and for lost people compels us to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with others but there are multiplied millions of people who are still lost and dying in sin they know about Jesus but very few know Jesus They've yet to experience him in their lives. And you may very well say, well, I am a Christian, so I have experienced Jesus Christ, and there's no more to it than that. Oh, you're wrong, my friend. You may have passed from basic knowledge of Christ through biblical facts or through listening to other folks, so on and so forth. And you may have come into Gnosko where, you, where you've experienced Christ in your life. But many of us, tragically, stay in Gnosko and never move on to epinosis. Never move on to epinosis. There is the full knowledge of Jesus Christ that uh, yet awaits many Christian People. And here again, I have to point out the difference between knowing about Jesus and actually knowing Jesus. Like everything else, a cursory knowledge, a basic or fundamental knowledge of things does very little, makes very little difference in a person's life. It gives you facts, it gives you figures, and so on and so forth, but it doesn't really impact a person's life. Oh, that's nice. Now I want to go learn about something else. It is only when we have the full knowledge, a more complete knowledge of Jesus Christ, we pass into gnosis and then epinosis that our life is transformed. And it continues to be transformed as we continue to go deeper and to deeper in the matter of Jesus Christ and his impact in our life. The Apostle Paul prayed that the Philippian Christians would come to a fuller and more complete knowledge, especially of Jesus Christ. I want you to turn to one final passage of Scripture in Philippians chapter 3. And we'll deal more with this when we get to chapter 3, but I'm just going to touch it for Uh, A minute this morning and that will be that Philippians chapter 3 and I want you to notice beginning in verse 7 this desire of the Apostle Paul uh, Philippians chapter 3 now notice the Apostle Paul this is his testimony thank you Warren for your testimony this morning appreciate it very very much This is the Apostle Paul's testimony. More than that, no, back up to verse 7, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. More than that, I count all things to be loss in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. That is gnosis. That is epinosis. That is... Gnosko and then epignosis of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish in order that I may gain Christ verse nine and be found in Him not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith now notice verse ten. That I may know him, this is epinosis, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul says, There is a far greater understanding of Jesus Christ than just embracing Him as Lord and Savior. There is a deeper understanding of the power of Christ, the power of His resurrection, the power of His suffering, the power of His death that we need to come to terms with in our own lives. He he emphasizes the ongoing pursuit of of knowing Christ through personal experiences in him. Verses 7 and 8. He passionately emphasizes the, emphasizes the desire to know more and more about Jesus through personal experience. Nothing was more important to him than this. And he was willing to give everything up. Everything that he'd ever gained in life, everything that he ever possessed in life, everything that he would ever be in life, he willingly gave that up that he might know Christ Jesus more fully and more completely. Notice in verse 10, the apostle expressed the desire to fully experience the righteousness of Christ imputed to him. What does that mean? To have, to be clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. We have no righteousness of our own. Scripture says our righteousness is but filthy rags. And when we were saved, we were clothed in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. What's the implication here? What's the dynamic here? What is the power here that we would understand the righteousness of Jesus Christ that we are clothed in? And not only the righteousness of Christ, but also the assurance of one's own resurrection in Christ. Scripture tells us that as Christ was raised from the dead, so we shall also be raised from the dead. But what does that really mean? How can we understand that? Is there a deeper understanding that sooner or later we're going to rise up out of the grave and that's going to be a wonderful thing? No. The Apostle Paul says there are far greater and far deeper, uh, uh, far greater and a far deeper knowledge and understanding of what this resurrection is really all about. And I know we all have questions about resurrection, do we not? Some of you've asked me, well, when when we experience the resurrection, what age are we going to be? When we're raised from the dead, are we going to look the same as we did before we died? When we're resurrected, are we going to, you know, are people going to know us uh, as we were here in this life, or is there going to be some kind of uh, other knowledge that they will have? We have a lot of questions about the resurrection. Paul said, resurrection is more than just coming back to life. There's a far greater knowledge and understanding of what the resurrection really is. And Paul says, I'm pursuing that. I want to know what that's really all about. Not just the resurrection that we have in Jesus Christ, but he also mentions here the glory that comes in suffering for the ongoing work of the gospel that would eventually lead to his own death. Now, I know there's not an individual in here, unless you're warped or twisted. I don't know of any individual in here that really looks forward to suffering I think we avoid it with anything and everything in our being We don't want to suffer. We don't like suffering. We like comfortability. We want to be at ease in life. We want to do all that we can to relieve ourselves of stress and of pain and of sorrow. We don't want suffering. But the Apostle Paul says, I look forward to knowing more about the suffering of Jesus Christ because I want to suffer as he did, not for myself, but for the gospel of the kingdom. I want to know the glory that comes. When I preach and teach and minister the gospel and I suffer for it, I want to know the glory of the Lord in that suffering as Jesus knew the glory of the Lord God in his suffering. So in other words, there's so much more to know and to understand and to experience in Jesus Christ in our own lives than we could possibly imagine. And yet, tragically, for most Christians, we don't pursue that. We don't go deeper. We don't go further. We don't think about, we don't don't allow the Holy Spirit to allow us to experience those things by our obedient fellowship with the Lord through His Holy Spirit. We want to put restrictions. We want to put parameters around what we will do and what we will not do, what we can do, what we don't think we can do. Rather than let the Holy Spirit lead us under the Lordship of Jesus Christ, such knowledge comes through a daily fellowship with God's Holy Spirit, a daily fellowship with God's Holy Spirit, an obedient faith in the Holy Spirit that leads us further and further and further into what Paul called the mysteries of godliness. And as we fellowship with the Holy Spirit on a daily basis, as we walk with Him through trials and through tribulations and through sorrows, as we counsel with Him and allow Him to counsel with us in the times of decision-making, in our own lives, as we continue to serve him and minister to others in his name, we will grow in that knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We will grow in that knowledge of God our Father. We will grow in that knowledge of the Holy Spirit. We will grow in that knowledge of the Word of God. We will grow in that knowledge of salvation. And that should be the desire of each and every one of us. It was the desire of the Apostle Paul for himself. It was his desire for the Philippian Christians. It was his desire for the Colossian Christians. It should be my desire for you. It should be your desire for me. It should be our desire for each other. That we would continue to grow in the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Beloved, the experiences that we have in the Word of God, in fellowship with the Holy Spirit in our fellowship with God our Father, in fellowship with Jesus Christ, in all of the areas of Christian life, for the rest of our lives, will contribute to the ongoing process of spiritual maturity until it is completed when the Lord Jesus Christ comes for us or when we leave this life to go and be with him. May we stand together. David come and lead us in a song you moved
1: (laughs) David's going to lead us in a song living for Jesus a life that is true striving to please him in all that Way, a blessing for me. I give His for to live, O Christ, for Thee
0: alone. We're going to dismiss in prayer, and uh, then in about ten minutes, we want to come back into the sanctuary for our quarterly business meeting. So those of you who uh, are visiting with us... Um, You would certainly be dismissed to go on to your uh, events of the afternoon, but those of you who are members of the fellowship, if you'll join us in about 10 minutes, we will conduct a brief uh, business meeting. Father, we thank you for the day. We thank you for the privilege to be in your house, to be with your people, and to fellowship with your Holy Spirit as we study your word together. We pray now that you will bless us as we go, that we might, Lord, hunger and thirst for a greater knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ in our lives for the Holy Spirit in our lives for your presence in our lives for the word uh, of God in our lives Lord for a deeper understanding of salvation so that we might experience uh, more than just the knowledge that we're going to heaven when we die for there's so much more to salvation than what comes hereafter so bless us Lord God with a desire to go deeper and and to dig deeper into your word and into our experiences with you. Bless us as we go that we might be a blessing to you and to all that we might meet. In the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord, we pray. Amen and amen. God bless you and have a great day in the Lord. The Bible says, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved.